mercy, and he promises us that as we do so, as we turn to Christ, we have the full assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. He does not hold our sins against us, but washes us clean in the blood of Christ. That's our hope, our comfort, our joy as we worship him this morning. Having heard the gospel promises then and standing on that ground, let us now open the word of God first to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. As we've worked through Colossians, we've often been consulting Ephesians as somewhat of a parallel letter with similar instructions, often in different words. And so we read from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the, full, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with, pr- with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's turn now to our text, which comes from Colossians 3. Well, our text comes from Colossians 4, but we'll uh, find our context back in Colossians 3, verse 12. Paul, in, in, uh, verses, in chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, is, is going to pick up on a thought that he's left off here in these verses, so we'll read them again. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's jump forward now to chapter 4, verse 2. And we'll focus especially on verses 2 through 4. We'll read verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak." Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So far, the word of God. Once again, the text on which we want to focus is Colossians 4, 
verses 2 through 4. Since it's only three verses, I'll read them again. Colossians 4, verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So far the word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul urges the Colossian church, and of course, by, uh, including by extension us, he urges us to pray. I want to spend just a moment thinking about that fact. Uh, we're going to see in a minute some of the things that uh, he says about how they and we should pray. And also he, he makes a couple of specific prayer requests. Uh, but I want to think with you first just about the fact that the Apostle Paul urges us to pray. I don't, we don't want to brush over that or take that for granted. Now, I don't think there's anyone here in our midst who doesn't know uh, that Christians are supposed to pray. We all, we all know that. We get that that's uh, something we're supposed to be doing. And yet, most people, I, I would venture to guess most people in this church... Uh, admit that they feel that they don't pray enough, that they ought to pray, ought to be praying more. Now, it's, it's a bit risky, but if, if I were to put some numbers on it, uh, and I, again, this is, this is risky because there are notable exceptions within our church, uh, and yet I, w- I would say that for most of us, at least in this church, our private prayer life consists, for most of us again, of a brief prayer before meals, that's fairly standard fare in in Canadian Reformed churches, and usually a one or two or maybe five minute long prayer before bedtime. Again, some of us more than that, some of us less than that. Uh, As well as uh, sometimes that prayer before bed for some of us is is a prayer uh, first thing out of bed in the morning or both. Uh, Now, a good number of us do have, I get to know this from my own pastoral interactions, and the elders will know this as well, a good number of us do have time that we set aside every day for personal private devotions, uh, whether, again, that's perhaps in the evening or in the early morning. And and so you, you pray during that time as well. And, of course, a number of families in our midst have family devotions, usually at the dinner table. Uh, and there's a special time there for reading the Bible and for, for praying. So we make that also a place in which we, we pray. Uh, some of us have a special family devotion uh, before, uh, on Sunday morning before church. It's a very good and healthy practice uh, that, that many of us also do. Uh, so to summarize it in, in broad strokes and generalizations, that's what prayer life looks like in this church by, by a rough, somewhat anecdotal measurement. Uh, and in, in addition to that, of course, we have corporate prayers. We pray together here as a church, and, and that's also something we regard as important. We have a long prayer in, in each worship service. Uh, and, and then also there are other corporate prayers. When you have Bible studies, uh, I trust that you are praying, opening and closing those evenings uh, or, or mornings, as the case may be, with, with prayer. Uh, now, I'm not aware of any, any regular prayer meetings, uh, meetings devoted to prayer, though they do happen from time to time. Uh, and there are certainly a number of churches more broadly in our federation that have, have regular set-aside prayer meetings. Uh, we, as a federation, also have days of prayer uh, where the federation might call a day of prayer. And, and this, too, is not something we should forget. There are times in our country, uh, in our culture, uh, in our church situation where, where it, it may be wise for us to call a day of prayer. Uh, so those are, those are the facts. That's, that's where we, we are as a church. Uh, Having said that, then, we should consider this exhortation to prayer that we find in Scripture, like in our text this morning. Uh, The thing that perhaps jumps out immediately uh, to us is that prayer was important to Paul. Prayer mattered 
to Paul. Uh, and that's not just Paul. Pr- prayer matters uh, and is important in many parts of Scripture. Uh, we're taught that. Uh, so here Paul is writing his last words, his final exhortation to the church in Colossae. And he writes, pray steadfastly. So again, perhaps it's an obvious point, but it's not one we should gloss over, that prayer matters. It's something that's important. Uh, You wouldn't command or exhort a church to do it if you didn't regard it as something that that matters, that makes a difference. Uh, And in fact, every single one of Paul's letters, uh, with with one exception, the letter to the Galatians, and even there, you could argue there's an exhortation to prayer, but at least every other letter of Paul has a specific exhortation to prayer, uh, which is an amazing thing, given that they were written with different purposes in mind, different uh, situations and contexts, and yet it comes back in every letter, uh, this exhortation to prayer. So Romans 12, verse 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Uh, Again, a few chapters later, still in Romans, he says, Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 11, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Uh, So there to to the Corinthian church, he calls them to prayer. Ephesians 6, we read this one a moment ago. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, another word for prayer, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Uh, Philippians 4, maybe you remember this from a year and a bit ago as we worked through Philippians. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. And again, a few verses later. Brothers, pray for us. Uh, in the next letter to Thessalonians 2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and may, and may be honored as happened among you. Uh, even in Paul's uh, private one-on-one letters, like his letter to Timothy, uh, there too he urges Timothy, this young man, this pastor of, of a church, uh, he urges him to pray. And he says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings should be made for all people. And then more broadly to the congregation, he says, uh, I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands. So you see this? In all of Paul's writings, and you'll find it in Peter's writings, you'll find it obviously in the teachings of the Lord Jesus, there's a call to prayer. Prayer matters. Uh, Prayer was something the Lord Jesus constantly exhorted his disciples to do. Uh, In Luke 18, the Lord Jesus even tells a parable exactly to that effect. Uh, The parable of an, an unrighteous judge and a persistent widow who would not give up. And, and the Lord Jesus' point was, uh, if that works for an unrighteous judge, where if you're persistent in requesting, you'll finally get what you're asking for, if that works with an unrighteous judge, how much more would that work with God? Be persistent in your prayers. And perhaps what's most amazing of all is the amount of time that the Lord Jesus himself devoted to prayer. If you think about that, that's quite an amazing fact. Uh, we, we might think if, if there's anyone who didn't need to pray because he already knew the will of God, he was already filled with the Spirit of God, endowed with the power of God, uh, if there's anyone who didn't need to pray, you would think it would be Jesus. And yet the Lord Jesus sets aside a great deal of time in his, uh, in his earthly life uh, to pray. Uh, We often find him retreating into the mountains or into the desert to find quiet places to pray. Uh, The apostles of the church as well, when they first founded uh, the church with the blessing of the Spirit, uh, they saw prayer as one of their most important tasks. Uh, In Acts 6, in fact, this is the reason why we have deacons. Uh, because in Acts 6, uh, the, the apostles were being overwhelmed with, with the physical needs of, of the widows and other poor in the church. And they said, if, if all we do is attend the, the needs of, of widows and poor people, which you can't not do that, 
if all we do is work on that, we won't have time to pray. And, and that, was, that was their point. Uh, it was so they, they could devote themselves to prayer and preaching. They saw that as their primary and most important task, to pray and to preach. Uh, and that's why we can speak of uh, not only a ministry of the word, but a ministry of prayer. As, as an important function in, in the church. It's there in my calling as well. When the form of, of installation was read to, to me and before you, uh, it lays out the tasks of the minister. And the, the most important tasks are prayer and preaching. Uh, so it divides it into, into four responsibilities. Preaching, administration of sacraments, prayer, and supervision of the doctrine and life of the church. If there's no prayer, I as a minister am failing in my responsibility and calling towards you. So just that brief, very brief overview of, of Scripture, and that's just the New Testament. Uh, you think of the Psalms, right? <laughs> Almost every one of them being prayers. Uh, it shows that prayer has a tremendous importance in the life of the Christian church. Prayer matters. Uh, in the Christian life, prayer is a priority. Uh, I want to make sure then that we hear that and take that to heart, uh, because for many of us, perhaps prayer is not a priority. Uh, most Christians here in the West do not treat prayer as, uh, as something that matters as a high priority. Uh, it's something that we, we do with the remainder of our time uh, instead of something that we do with the first fruits of, of our time. And prayer, prayer is understood and taught in Scripture to be something that is powerful. It's powerful. Uh, that's why both in our text and, and many other places, Paul urges the churches to pray for him. He recognizes, I'm not going to get to be able to do my task, and it's not going to be fruitful if I'm not supported by the prayers of these churches. Uh, prayer is powerful. Uh, so Paul recognizes that their prayers make a difference. You think of James, uh, the Apostle James as well, uh, where he, he urges the church to pray and says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer is powerful. Uh, now, it's not that prayer is, is powerful in and of, of itself as if it has some sort of magical effect, but prayer brings us back to the recognition that we are not going to get anything done, anything, uh, with our efforts unless it is God who does it. Unless it's God who blesses those efforts, they are wasted. They are spent in vain, right? Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And how will we obtain the Lord's blessing? How will we uh, have it that the Lord would build the house? By prayer, by praying. God, uh, if you think about it, God is able to accomplish in a mere moment what we could spend a lifetime or years working on and failing to accomplish. Who are we to think that we could do anything without God's blessing? Uh, whatever it is, it's not going to happen unless God does it. Uh, and, and I trust that many of us even know what this is like. Uh, I've certainly experienced this where uh, we've, we've experienced God's work in response to our prayers, accomplishing something that we've been working hard and in vain to accomplish uh, for a long period, and God accomplishes it in moments, uh, in, in ways that only God can do. Uh, don't neglect prayer as your first priority. Uh, the Lord Jesus also teaches us over and over, make prayer your highest priority, and expect great things from God in response to your prayers. Because that's the way that God works. He works in response to the prayers of his people, uh, and, and as a father, in response to the prayers of his children. That's how God works. And so if, if we struggle, as, as we always, as all of us do, if we struggle to make prayer a priority, it's a reflection of, of the belief that we're operating under, that it, it is still our labor, our efforts, that are going to get the job done. And we need to take that step back and that reminder uh, to, to recognize it is God's hand that is the determining factor in whether our work succeeds or not. 
And so that's, that's then the, the broader context to this exhortation coming from Paul. That's the, the mindset that he's working from. I need the prayers of my people, of this church, of, uh, of whatever work we're trying to do. We need God's blessing, and it will only come through prayer. Uh, so now that Paul then has, has finished addressing, uh, as we've seen in the last month, specific groups in the church, whether it's wives or husbands or uh, children or fathers or slaves or masters, he now turns to the church as a whole, and he, the first place he starts as speaking to the church as a whole is in this exhortation to prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, you can see uh, three things there about how uh, we are to pray. Uh, First, we are to pray steadfastly. We are to pray steadfastly. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, That that word steadfastly refers to constancy, regularity. Uh, The idea is that the Colossians would not let prayer become something that over time they they drift away and start to neglect the, the important priority of prayer but rather they are to be steadfast. Uh, now the focus in this, in this concept of praying steadfastly, the focus here is not on having long prayers, nor on having eloquent prayers, but rather on being faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Uh, this word steadfast also implies a certain uh, sense of earnestness. You're only, uh, you only use the word steadfast when you're referring to something that should not only be regular, but should also be, be earnest. Uh, it's easy enough to maintain regularity in terms of the form of prayer. Uh, in other words, having regular prayers at regular intervals. Uh, and, and we as Canadian Reformed Churches are good at that with our, our regular prayers at mealtimes or at bedtimes. And, and these, these intervals are good Uh, good triggers, good places to put prayer. Uh, But the need for instruction to continue steadfastly uh, assumes that not only are we to be regular, but there's to be effort involved in our prayer. Uh, There's something about prayer that is not necessarily going to be easy, that takes effort, that takes willpower. Uh, Nobody tells you to be steadfast in something that's easy to do. People don't tell you, be steadfast in in breathing or be steadfast in, well, sometimes they'll tell you be steadfast in sleeping because sometimes it's not easy uh, to do. But we are to be steadfast in those things that are difficult, that take effort and sustained effort. If you are involved in an exercise program, the key to success, whether it's to gain muscle mass or lose weight, whatever it is, the key to success is steadfastness. It's regularity together with exertion. Regularity with exertion. Uh, so also with, with our prayers, and the goal, the call here is, is not just to show up, to be regular in prayer in that regard, but also to put forth, to be uh, persistent, to be uh, earnest and involved in our prayers. So there's both of those elements there in that command of steadfastness. Uh, so let me ask you, Are we steadfast in our prayers? Are we steadfast in your personal, private devotions? uh, Can can your practice of prayer be described as something that is steadfast, something that's not only regular but earnest, that takes a diligence and an effort? Uh, In your family devotions, is there a steadfastness to your prayers? Uh, Secondly, Paul urges us to be watchful. That's the second aspect here, to be watchful or alert in our prayers. The idea is that we're keeping our eyes open to the things that are going on around us as well as within us and bringing those things to God in prayer. Uh, So we're we're watchful, we're alert. We are not to be uh, lulled into sleep in our prayers. And, And this is why it's really important that we, as, uh, as individ- in our individual prayers as well as in our family prayers, that we not pray the exact same words over and over. Uh, don't let yourself 
fall into that rut. And I know as, as much as anyone how easy it is to fall into a certain rut. Uh, we are not to do that because that's not watchful. It's not alert. It's not keeping your eyes open and bringing what, what is there in you and around you before God in prayer. Uh, circumstances around us are constantly changing. Uh, we, are, we are engaged, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, we're engaged in a spiritual war. It's the, the battlefield does not look the same from one day to the next. Uh, or as the Apostle Peter tells us, Satan prowls around uh, like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy. Well, if that's the case, we are to be watchful in our prayers. We are to keep our eyes open. Is someone's marriage facing difficulty? Then pray for them. Uh, are your children growing older and, and facing new struggles in their, in their journey? Then don't pray the same prayer for them that you used to pray when they were little. Recognize there are new things here. Bring them before God in prayer. Be watchful. Uh, is the church, are we as a church, facing new challenges that we weren't facing 10 years ago? Our prayers should reflect that. Uh, are there doctrinal uh, trends uh, at work in our culture? Uh, some healthy, perhaps some not healthy. We should be watchful and we should be prayerful about those, those things. Uh, perhaps some of you find this as well. What I find is we tend to be watchful. Uh, where is our watchfulness spent? Uh, many of us tend to be very watchful in the political realm. We're always watching what, what a politician says or who gets elected or uh, what laws have been uh, passed or are about to be passed. We can be very watchful in that realm. And that's a good thing, provided it does not consume all of our watchfulness, that that's not the only thing we're watchful towards. Uh, the reality is the political realm, to which we're so inclined to be watchful, presents only a, a small share of the spiritual and physical circumstances around us. It's not the primary threat, uh, if you want to think of it in terms of a threat. Uh, it's not the primary thing. Uh, the sad reality is we're not nearly so watchful, for example, when it comes to things that are right here in us and around us, uh, in our homes, in, in who our children are, are spending time with. Are you watchful? about that? Uh, or what's going on on our televisions? Are we watchful? Are we careful? Are we attentive to that? Uh, in ideas that make their way into the church, as, as they always do in every generation, new ideas, uh, new uh, concepts, some good, some, some dangerous, that, that make their way into the church. Are we watchful? Are we attentive? Uh, the, the reality is because they're not easily identifiable laws like they are in, in Ottawa uh, where we can identify here are the people in power, here are the laws that are being passed, they're easy to identify, uh, but things that go on, on in us and around us are not so easy to identify uh, and that means that we often don't see them, we're not watchful towards them. Uh, whether, whether, again, whether that's spiritual things, personal things, familial, familial things, church dynamics, or habits. Habits that we slowly, individually, or corporately develop. What habits are we falling into? Are we watchful about, that, about those things? Are we discerning in terms of what's going on in our world? So the exhortation here is to, to pray steadfastly and watchfully for yourself, for your family, for this church, and then bring those things that you are watchful towards, that you are observing going on, bring them before God in prayer. Pray in such a way uh, that, that is watchful. Uh, again, then, do not let yourself pray the same prayer every day. Stop yourself from doing it. Uh, you are not in the same situation every day. It's constantly changing. Your prayers are to reflect that. And that takes, that takes time. To be watchful in prayer takes some time of stopping to discern what's going on. What's going on in me? What's going on around me? What's going on with my spouse, my children, uh, my family? Uh, it takes time. And if, if you are single, that means uh, you, you need friends around you, as well as your parents if you're in the home, or your siblings, uh, to whom you can talk 
or with whom you can talk about those things that matter to which you are called to be watchful. Uh, if you are married, that means stopping, taking the time to communicate with each other, to help each other be watchful. You have perspectives, insights uh, that your spouse doesn't have, and he or she has perspectives, insights that you don't have. Be watchful together. Share one another's uh, insights. Uh, each of you can, can see things that the other is, is not so good at seeing. Uh, share those, those insights. Speak to each other and make this, make this part of your daily routine. Speaking with each other. What's going on? What's going on in you? What's going on around us? Uh, speak to each other uh, so that you may pray intelligently about the world that's in you and around you. Uh, be watchful then and let that watchfulness show in your prayers. That's the exhortation here. And finally, then, Paul also exhorts us to pray with thanksgiving. Uh, this is, a, a, as I'm sure you know, a, a very common theme in Paul's letters. Uh, virtually everywhere he talks about prayer, he brings in thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Uh, if you remember again from a year and a bit ago when we worked through Philippians, uh, Paul wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Thanksgiving orients our prayers. Thanksgiving orients our prayers. Uh, let me explain that. The word orient uh, is, is based on the Latin word for the word east. Um, so when you know where east is, you know where everything else is. It's, it's your compass. Uh, so to be oriented is to know which direction is which, so that you know where you are. Uh, you're, you're no longer in the fog. Uh, and once you know that, then you can also know which direction you, you are called to go. Uh, in the Christian life, and, and in many things, we can very easily get disoriented, where we don't know what, what way is right, what way is up, what way is down. Uh, we, we all deal with many massive and complex Issues going on in our life, sometimes that merge together all into the same stream of emotion that shows up on the surface, and we don't even know. Uh, it's hard to trace back what, where's it all, all coming from. Uh, and, and so it's very easy to be disoriented. Uh, we're going through all these things. We, we don't know uh, exactly what's going on around us, and then we don't know how to pray. Uh, it's hard to be watchful when you're totally disoriented. Uh, Thanksgiving orients our prayers because it brings us back to the heart of our relationship with God, which brings us back to the heart of the gospel. And that's what, again, this letter to Colossians is all about. It's giving us the gospel to teach us wisdom to know how to live in light of the gospel. So Paul says, now in your prayers, go back to thanksgiving because there as you give thanks for what God has done for you, you're oriented again. You say, this is who I am. This is God's grace to me. This is where I'm at. Even if I don't understand all that's going on, I know which direction is north. I know which direction I'm called to go. Begin with thanksgiving. Uh, thanksgiving orients us then uh, because we remember all the gospel promises. We think back to Colossians 1 of us being called out of darkness into light, made part of God's kingdom. Make that part of your, your prayer. Thank you, Lord, that I belong to your kingdom because I don't deserve to be here. It's a good place to start uh, your prayers. Uh, you think of uh, Colossians 1, verse, I believe, 21, where he talks about being called out of hostility to God and alienation from God to, to be acquainted with God, to know him uh, through Christ. Those are massive things to be thankful for. Uh, so when we pray with thanksgiving like this, we, we are reoriented to who we are and where we're at. Uh, and, and, and that also helps us then with where we're going. Uh, Thanksgiving also gives us hope when we're in, in trial. Uh, perhaps you find this as well. It's oftentimes for many of us a lot easier uh, to pray for help and to pray for grace than it is to give thanks to God for his grace. It's much easier to pray, for example, for forgiveness than to thank God for the forgiveness 
that you've already obtained because you have already obtained it. Uh, thank God for that. Uh, it's a question of what will you focus on as you pray? Will uh, It's good to pray for forgiveness. It's good to pray for help with, with your sins. But what will be your focus? Will it be your sins or will it be God's grace that covers uh, your sins? Uh, which will you keep your eyes focused on? Uh, as important as it is to pray for forgiveness, to pray for help, we are in the first place to thank God for having forgiven our sins, for having given us his grace, and to thank God with, with abundant, uh, overflowing, and joyful hearts. This is really who I am. I'm forgiven. I'm, I've received God's grace. And it's in that light that I pray for God's continual forgiveness, that I pray for his continual help. And, and in doing so, praying with thanksgiving restores our joy. It restores our joy. Uh, thanksgiving keeps us from being overwhelmed by the circumstances that surround us, uh, whether that's around us or by the, the circumstances of our own hearts or minds within us. Thanksgiving keeps us from being overwhelmed, from being uh, drowned in the waters, uh, to use the language of the Psalms. Uh, thanksgiving reminds us of the joy that we have from knowing Christ and belonging to him, uh, the treasures that we have in Christ. Thanksgiving reminds us, these are your riches, they belong to you, and they are yours in every circumstance. Christ is near you, Christ is with you, Christ is helping you in all circumstances. So it's when we pray with thanksgiving that we walk away with the, the perspective you find uh, in, in someone like Paul. Uh, for example, in, in the uh, letters to the Corinthians where he says, uh, the sufferings of this present time, and he knew suffering, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's in store for us. How do you live with that perspective? It's by steadfast, watchful prayer with a lot of thanksgiving. Uh, the, the gospel treasures will only be able to sustain us in the gospel-shaped life if we remember them, and we'll only remember them if we're regularly giving thanks for them. Uh, so there's Paul's exhortation to prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, let me make an application here, having heard this exhortation. Uh, we, I started this sermon with an overview of our prayer life in this church, what that perhaps looks like for, for most of us. What we want to recognize here is that even though there, this is a command, which means that there is a sense in which prayer is a duty, it is first of all to be a delight, Prayer is, first of all, to be a delight. And I, I trust you see the difference between those things, a duty and a delight. It's true that in, in, in one sense, prayer is a duty. We are called to it. Uh, God instructs us and expects us to pray. But prayer should not, first of all, be thought of in our minds as a duty, but rather as a delight. It's not, I, I have to pray to my Heavenly Father who loves me. So I get to pray to my Heavenly Father who loves me. Uh, those who, who don't know Christ don't have that gift of being able and being called and freely welcomed to bring their prayers before their Heavenly Father. Uh, so we want, uh, uh, we want to be thinking as we apply this text to our lives, how can I make prayer a delight and not merely a duty? How can it be a delight and not, a, not merely a duty? If we're going to pray steadfastly, it's going to need to be a delight for us. Uh, any of you who have been in exercise programs know the same thing. If you hate it all the way through, you might finish your six months or one year or whatever you've committed to, but it's going to end there. You're not going to keep it up because you hate it. Uh, prayer, uh, likewise, if we want it to be steadfast and we want it to endure our whole life long, uh, it ought to be a delight or we're not going to be able to sustain it. Uh, to that end, I would say keep your prayers small enough that they can be a delight. Perhaps that's counterintuitive, but keep it small enough that it can be a delight because if you're saying, no, if I'm going to pray, it has to be a long, long prayer, you may not be able to sustain that and it's better to have many shorter prayers than 
a few long prayers that cease and don't become a regular pattern in life. Uh, if, if, uh, so it's not that there, there are, there's no place for longer prayers. We have longer prayers in church. Uh, we have things like prayer retreats sometimes, some of us do, uh, or some of us perhaps in our social groups also organize prayer meetings. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we even have prayer services, and these are extended times of prayer. Uh, but if your prayer life right now, if you look at your prayer life and you say it's, it's really non-existent, it's not regular, it's not watchful, it's not steadfast, uh, perhaps the best place to start is small. Small enough that it can become something that is regular and something that is delightful. Uh, let me put it in concrete terms. If every one of us would pray in the first place, with our families in some sort of family worship, every, uh, every one of us, every family among us is called to that. Have family worship on a daily basis. If we were to do that, and then individually, every one of us were to pray for, let's say, 15 minutes. Uh, how easily you spend 15 minutes. That's one YouTube video. Uh, how easily uh, we spend that. Uh, if we were to do that in private prayer, or even if you mix that prayer together with some, some scripture reading uh, to inform your prayer, if every one of us did that, we would be the most, uh, one of the most prayerful churches in our country. If every one of us was doing that 15 minutes a day of, of serious prayer, we would be among the most prayerful churches in the country. And if that's true... Would God not bless that? Again, if the Lord's not building the house, it's not going to get built. Uh, would God not bless that? He acts in response to prayer. And, and so there, even in something as small, as simple as that, you have steadfastness, that regularity. Uh, and, and then if you make it watchful, engage God's word, uh, hear God and respond to God in your prayer. If you find your, your prayer routine is you're constantly falling into the same old words, uh, let scripture change those words for you. Read God's word, respond to God in prayer, uh, responding to the specific things God has spoken to you in his, in his word. Uh, so if we're steadfast, and then we add that watchfulness, both from God's word and from uh, speaking with one another, and then if you remember also in those prayers to be thankful, to express thanksgiving to God, uh, we can be obeying Paul's instructions here, even in something as small and simple as 15 minutes in each day. Uh, and, and that can be done uh, together, perhaps with some sort of family devotion, and then, of course, we have, we have our corporate prayers here in the church to bolster that as well. And that is the sort of concrete application that Paul has in mind where he gives this, this more general instruction of continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It, in the, at the end of the day, it has to be concrete. There has to be a, a real-life application. So keep it simple, maintain it steadfastly, and let it be a delight, not merely a duty. Uh, having said that, uh, I want to finish just by looking very briefly at two specific things that Paul calls the church to pray for, and, and we'll give uh, very brief attention to that uh, because they'll tie into our sermon next week when we deal with verses 5 through 6. Uh, first, Paul asks that the Colossian church would pray that a door would open for the preaching of the gospel. Now, I find this amazing because Paul might have asked, if you remember that he's in prison, he might have asked for a door to open there in the prison, for him to get out of, of prison. Uh, but he prays for a door to open, not an iron door in the prison, but rather a door for the gospel, an opportunity to preach the gospel wherever and in whatever condition he might remain. Uh, you think of what Paul said at the beginning of his letter to the Philippians, uh, where he, he acknowledged that his time in jail had actually been used by God to further the preaching of the gospel. And that's the kind of thing he's praying for here. Pray that a door would open here in jail, that a door would open for the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Paul recognizes that even imprisonment brings unique opportunities uh, for the spread of the gospel. Uh, secondly, Paul asks 
that the Colossian church would pray that God would give him clarity in speaking. I find this so encouraging because Paul recognized that he needed help to be clear sometimes. Uh, And that's encouraging to me uh, because the reality is that preachers of the gospel need clarity, and that's a gift from God. It's a gift from God to see things clearly. Uh, Our minds can so easily be be jumbled uh, together. Uh, We can so easily miss the big picture, uh, even sometimes preaching about one small point, missing the forest for the trees. It's very easy to do. Uh, We can say things as preachers in ways that are uh, confusing or or ways that don't make sense to people. And that lack of clarity makes gospel preaching ineffective. It's not effective if it's not clear. It needs to be clear. And clarity of mind and speech is a gift that God gives in answer to prayer. And it's encouraging, I find, that even Paul needed those prayers. Uh, the reason that he wrote this letter and the other epistles uh, that, that have such a, a resounding impact on, our, on the world as they were inspired by, by the Spirit of God, uh, the reason is because God's Spirit filled Paul to give him clarity to write what needed to be written. That's a gift from God given by his Spirit. Now, I recognize, of course, I'm not claiming uh, the same kind of inspiration uh, here in the pulpit. But the point remains that without the help of the Spirit of God, the preaching will not be effective. I need clarity of mind, which can only come from the Spirit, which will only come through your collective prayers. God works in response to prayer. Uh, And Many of you, I trust, have experienced this, that it happens that sometimes in answer to prayer, whether it's in, in counseling someone, in befriending someone, and helping someone think through, through whatever's going on around them, that God can sometimes give this, this amazing clarity of mind, uh, that even as, as you yourself feel confused, suddenly there's this clarity that, ah, this is what's going on, and you can speak into that, and by God's grace, be effective in your speaking. That's a gift from God. That's what Paul then is asking the Colossians to pray for with respect to him. Uh, the, the application to us then is, is that we would do the same ourselves, both for, for myself as your minister, as well as for your elders and deacons as they labor among you, that God would grant clarity of mind as we speak, as we encourage, as we admonish, and also uh, for each of us as we witness to others who don't know Christ, that God would give us clarity to see what's, what's the main thing. How should the gospel be presented in this situation? It's not, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. It's in this relationship uh, with these circumstances, how will I communicate the gospel hope uh, to this individual? That takes great clarity of mind. Uh, and so pray for yourselves, pray for your elders and your deacons, pray for me as your pastor. Uh, pray that God would grant the clarity that we desperately need. It's only through clear teaching and instruction that's, that's also clearly derived from God's word where I can say this is where God says it uh, and you can see it there with clarity. It's only through that uh, that God speaks to us and that God speaks through us. It's only when we can speak clearly and clearly also show where it comes from in God's word. Uh, so whether it's, it's uh, you as a fellow Christian admonishing, correcting, encouraging uh, one another, or whether it's your elder or a pastor or a counselor uh, who knows how to ask the right questions, who knows how to think with, with clarity, that's what God uses to carry his work and his kingdom forward. And again, that clarity is a gift from God, so pray for it. Pray for it for yourselves and for all of us in this church. Uh, we think of uh, how Paul was laboring in a hostile environment, uh, how, how badly he needed help, and, and how often aren't we laboring in a hostile environment, in an environment where Satan and demons, as Paul emphasizes in Ephesians 6, are at work. It, all Christian work is work done with the blessing of God, but in a hostile environment. Uh, We need help. It's very easy to become foggy 
It's very easy to become discouraged. It's, it's very easy. Uh, you think of our missionaries at work uh, abroad. It's very easy for them to not know, how do I apply the gospel in this cultural context? Uh, what's, what's just culture and what's religious and, and needs to be transformed by the gospel? What's okay, uh, just different but okay, and what's not okay? And that takes great clarity of mind. Pray for our missionaries as they work like Paul in a different culture, in a different environment, who have to think through very complex and difficult issues. These are hard things. So pray for them. Uh, now, as a church, we support a mission work in Papua New Guinea. Uh, it's a small country, roughly 8 million people. Uh, but it's one of the most culturally and linguistically diverse countries. It is the most linguistically diverse country in the world. Uh, right now, we have one missionary serving there, and we support a seminary that's been started there, teaching indigenous uh, pastors to, to preach the gospel in their country. That's incredibly difficult work. We saw that in our presentation we had recently from Reverend Versteg. That's hard work uh, to, to go for even any one of them as pastors, to go uh, even to the next neighborhood over. They're entering into a new culture, sometimes a new language, and they have to navigate different customs, different uh, contexts. Uh, it's hard work and takes tremendous clarity and depends entirely on the blessing of God. Uh, the local pastors uh, there need our prayers. So, brothers and sisters, let this text then be an encouragement to you, and let it be a call to you as, as each of you consider your own prayer habits. Uh, we're not in the same circumstance as Paul was uh, to the Colossians. Our prayers are going to be different. But the need for steadfast, watchful prayer very much remains. Uh, it's as important for us now as it was for them. It's as important for you individually as it was for Paul. It's important for your family as much as it has ever been for any Christian family. It's important for us to pray steadfastly, watchfully, and with thanksgiving. So, brothers and sisters, come before your Heavenly Father who loves you and pray to Him and make that your everyday delight. Amen.